Welcome to the Built and Beyond podcast. This is where we share trends and knowledge and cool tools that just might help take some bricks off your back. If you're looking for insight into the built and natural environment, and well, beyond, this is the place. If you're in the federal space and want to drive innovation, we have some thoughts. Transportation, asset management, water infrastructure concerns keeping you up at night? We have guests who will talk about that too. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. Hi, my name is Jeff Wright, the Water Practice Director with Atkins North America, and I'm here with some of my climate change resilience experts to discuss our second in a series on the topic. Um, I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves. We have to start with Chris Zambito and Steve Bourne and Rick Renna. So, Chris? Sure. Chris Zambito. I'm out of our Tampa, Florida office. I have been working in hazard mitigation, emergency management, resilience, all those flavors for the past 20 years here, uh, both for local government as well as in the private sector. Uh, also a, a past chair for the Florida Floodplain Managers Association, so very um, involved with how this is evolving across the state. Great. And Steve? Uh, hey, everyone. Um, I'm Steve Bourne. I'm a project director and an Atkins Fellow. I have 20 years of experience in water resources engineering, climate science, and decision support tool development. I'm the lead architect of Atkins City Simulator, which is a resilience modeling tool, and I'm currently leading multiple resiliency studies that are using City Simulator to find climate change adaptation and mitigation options. Okay, and finally, Rick. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Rick Renna. I'm out of uh, Tallahassee, Florida, water resources engineer. Been with Atkins through uh, since 2016 with FDOT for 42 years before that. Uh, I was the state uh, drainage engineer and have been responsible for, for most of the policies uh, that are in the, the Florida Drainage Manual. All right. Well, again, this is the second part in a series where we were talking about climate, resilience, um, and water, um, that nexus. And uh, we're going to focus this discussion on engineering tools um, to uh, evaluate and respond to climate change. Um, I'd like to start with, uh, I think, what people, you know, typically think in terms of climate change, uh, you know, Florida immediately jumps to mind, obviously being surrounded mostly by ocean. So what are we doing to keep the sea out as it rises in Florida? Steve, Chris? I'll go ahead, this Chris. Um, I, I don't know per se if we're going to keep the water out entirely in Florida. I, I think what a lot of our clients are asking for is to understand what those impacts are potentially going to be to their structures and their community planning activities. So we have a lot of clients that are, um, you know, have built upon some recent activities, whether it's been through local mitigation strategies or through the Parallel Flood Act, which was set up by the state a few years ago for comprehensive planning. Uh, you have a lot of communities that want to understand impacts to their infrastructure. How high is that water potentially going to get? How is it going to impact daily operations and planning activities? And so they're asking us to, you know, look at some things citywide. They're asking us to look at particular pieces of infrastructure. They're asking us to work with community planning guidelines. You know, how do we apply these new resilience standards equitably across communities? So there's a lot of interest um, from from many people in 
designing for the future. Steve, did you have some other thoughts to add to that? Yeah, I, th I think I'd echo Chris's comment about, um, you know, maybe it's not about keeping water out. I think a lot of people are starting to understand that um, it's more a matter of managing water um, as sea level increases. Um, and some of the city simulator studies that we do, uh, we've looked at um, adding seawalls or elevating existing seawalls. Um, we've looked at things like uh, adding check valves to stormwater systems to prevent high tides, um, uh, you know, impacting um, at the same time as, as storms, um, you know, storm surge. Um, and uh, definitely elevating infrastructure. We've looked at a lot. Um, you know, we we give uh, communities the opportunity to test out or do what if scenarios and sort of test uh, elevating uh, homes on the coast versus buyout programs. Um, you know, where they're just taken that those homes are purchased and um, the owners move to different areas. Um, all those uh, types of scenarios we we can uh, simulate and evaluate. You know, as as the next 40 years go by, um, what's the best way to reduce risk? So there, there's a lot of options there. Um, the one that you know doesn't get talked about a lot um, that we have actually investigated with City Simulator is uh, moving away or migrating from the coast. Um, we looked at you know how. Um, uh, rising seas, they might be impacting individual people's properties and reducing market value and looked at, you know, what are the trade-offs of moving away versus staying at the coast and, you know, um, adapting and, you know, living uh, in a situation where you're managing that, that water infiltration uh, more frequently than you are today. And it, it always comes up with interesting values and interesting results. But, um, I think you know that the overall uh, theme, though, that I've seen in the last 20 years, anyway, is uh, we've gone from denying that you know there is sea level rise to really trying to manage it and and understand what our options are, and um, we need tools um, to to you know just sort of quantify what the, what the vulnerabilities will be, and um, understand what what our options are, how we can adapt and mitigate. And Jeff, if I may, if I may add to that, um, uh, the part of the problem with Florida, uh, part of the difficulty with Florida is is our soils are so transmissive, our sandy soils, especially in the south, uh, that it's not just a surface water problem; it's a groundwater problem, and and we have groundwater elevating to compromise roadway base. Um, there has been problems for years uh, in in coastal water supply wells. Uh, with with saltwater intrusion, uh, there's just um, you know keeping keeping the water out on the surface is not good enough in Florida, and, and so it's it's a it's it's an especially difficult problem. Well, it kind of brings me to maybe one of my next questions when it comes to you know analyzing this. Um, are there any efforts, Rick, to develop uh, systematic methodologies to integrate climate science into H and H practice? Yes, there, there's a lot going on uh, nationally, almost too much to keep up with. Um, both Katie and I have been involved in uh, a couple of national research projects um, that were in time in, in, that were intended to um, to bring uh, non-stationarity into the hydrology and hydraulics world. Uh, one was 1561, which started in early 2016. It produced a design guideline. 
that that dealt with both inland and coastal hydrology. Um, that was put to the test in another project, uh, 20-44 per N23, which began in uh, in late 2019. A number of states were involved, uh, including Florida, uh, including Atkins. And uh, it, the, the idea was to pilot those design guidelines, again, both for coastal and inland infrastructure. And just starting is um, project 1561A, which is intended to to take the results of the of the test run uh, in uh, 2044 23 and and update the, the guidelines. Uh, interestingly, part of the current project, the 1561A, is to take a look at the methodologies that are being developed by the federal ages, uh, excuse me, agencies, the, 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 the big ones that you'd expect, Corps of Engineers, NOAA, USGS. They're all developing methodologies. Um, look in the future for the dominant methodologies to come from those, those historically um, major uh, federal engineering agencies. The guidance is developing so quickly um, and improving so quickly, it's, it's going to be hard to keep up with it. But look for the core NOAA and USGS to set the standard. Okay, so um, I guess a follow-up question to that. So what are some practical approaches to accommodate um, uncertainty due to climate change in our designs? Um, what if we do if we cannot practically design um, for the uh, SLR target? Yes, uh, that is more the case than not. And um, what we what we look at is what we can do practically. There, there are boundaries that just make sense to not go beyond. For instance, uh, there is no point in designing a bridge uh, to service a community that's going to go underwater in in 20 years. Um, we would do better to to um, try to extend the life of that bridge, uh, knowing that we're probably looking at retreat. Um, what we what we end up doing is looking for 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 knees in the cost benefit curve and and they can come rather quickly um when you talk about trying to raise a road um there 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 are just boundaries in cost and common sense that that end up taking us partially down the road when we can't satisfy the the, the full projected sea level rise okay so um, how do we look at populated areas such as cities, rivers, um, or living long rivers uh, with varying elevation infrastructure and vulnerabilities? Uh, how do we kind of take that into consideration? Steve, you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Our um, city simulator projects, they're, they're all focused on populated areas. And, you know, one of the, the key insights in that tool is that you know, uh, communities don't necessarily want to know what the water surface elevation is. They they want to know what the impact is to people and to the economy um, and to, to their ecosystems when the water surface hits a certain elevation. So what we do um, in, in populated areas especially is uh, we actually integrate um, uh, things like travel models um, and economic models and demographic models with uh, the flood models and then we sort of simulate all of it together moving into the future and this allows us to understand things like um, um, you know if there are 
300,000 people in your city, what percentage of them are that what their daily commutes are going to be impacted by flooding in the future um, because of climate change? And how will climate change steadily change that percentage? Um, and then, you know, of course, like where, where are the hot spots? Where are the really vulnerable spots where um, Rick mentioned bridges before, you know, if you elevated three bridges, um, could you effectively reduce disruption to people in the future? Um, um, you know, that's an example we did in Boulder County, for example, um, where we, uh, you know, we looked at all 200 bridges in their county, um, simulating 325,000 people moving around the county every day for the next 30 years. And we said, you know, if you um, were to elevate uh, these three bridges to 500 year level, uh, 500 year flood level, you would avoid um, something around 40% of the traffic disruption um, uh, that, uh, compared to if you didn't do that. And so taking that kind of information available, you know, sort of hard information, uh, quantified, uh, uncertain, but, you know, a quantification of what the disruption levels will be and how they could attend to them, uh, Boulder went to FEMA and applied for funding to uh, reconstruct those bridges, and they're currently in the process of doing that. So, you know, I think the, the, the key takeaway from that study and many others that we're doing is that um, you really have to translate how the hydraulic system uh, will change to how the people, the economic, and the, the other systems in the city, how those will be impacted. And that's really what moves the needle in terms of affecting change. And, and Steve, let me give an example of that in, in the coastal area. Um, Florida has some very vulnerable areas. That the, the, the Florida Keys come to mind immediately. And, and FDOT has looked at that very carefully, recognizing that a hurricane hit along the Keys is going to cut people off. Um, there's, there's a, there, it's a very serious scenario. There's one way in and out of the Keys. Um, and FDOT did a special study on that. They did the same thing with Tampa Bay. Um, Tampa Bay is set up um, with its bridges across the bay that a hurricane coming in the, at the right um, angle, um, the right severity, could could knock out all of the bridges uh, across Tampa Bay. And so the same approach, Steve, was uh, was was looked at, where 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 traffic detours um, were 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 examined. You know, what if we tried to make sure one bridge survived? Um, you know, that same type of thoughtful. A, a planning in advance of 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 a loss of of infrastructure. Well, I guess it could a good lead into uh, another question, Rick. At at what point are we not able to adequately design, you know, a coastal facility? You know, what's that what's that upset limit? That's a that's a good question, and and one that is starting to influence investment in 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 coastal infrastructure. As I said before. Um, at, at some point, you don't invest in a bridge that has gonna that's gonna have a short service life um, be, because of uh, of rising sea level uh, taking out the the service community. Uh, also with 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 highways, at at some point, you cannot continue to raise highways. Um, you end up uh, cutting off access to property owners. Um, you end up um, cutting off maybe their historical, drainage pattern to the to the to the roadway a lot of a lot of um a lot of communities drain uh, to, to the highway and and in such a case you you end up with with an insurmountable right-of-way cost if if you try to buy out these these properties 
um, in, a, in a sense, you're almost doing a forced retreat by buying them out. And if you try to ignore it, um, um, these these folks will recognize that rights are being taken away. And the, and whatever agency is doing that will end up um, facing inverse condemnation, uh, which can be more expensive even than buying them out. Um, and so at some point, um, raising a road uh, fails to provide the service and 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 um, or whether it be access or whether it be drainage, um, at some point you just cannot respond. And that's where we talk about adaptive management. Uh, we end up with a lower target and uh, how long we can continue to do that remains to be seen. But um, there, there are there are economic boundaries to, to raising roads. That's some great insight on the economic boundaries, Rick. I think this will lead to some future discussion really worth talking about. More to come on that. Thanks to Steve and Chris for your time and input. You're really giving communities real-life scenarios and solutions they can use to increase their resilience in the face of climate change. And thanks to you all for listening. And should you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out. We're here for you. Thanks for listening. Reach out to learn more about how you can help your community understand the local impact of climate change and what can be done to adapt and mitigate. Go to AtkinsGlobal.com slash City Simulator. We'll see you next time.